like to turn in your Bibles uh, either to the passage that was read for you earlier. Looking for that, it's in 1 John, but the reference skips my mind. 1 John 4, thank you. Uh, or 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to be loosely referring to these passages. And uh, are we working? Oh yes, there we are. We're trying out a new system. Uh, so even though I don't have a study guide, I have some notes. If you make notes, uh, I'm going to help you out a little bit by uh, giving you some of those notes. I want to pick up this morning where I left off uh, last time, and I want to uh, continue to talk about um, what is biblical love. Last week, uh, we talked about some of the particulars of that, but sometimes it's helpful to define what something is by, first of all, considering what it is not. It enables us to draw a distinction between those attributes that contribute to uh, loving others the way God loves, uh, as opposed to those things that do not characterize uh, biblical love. Now, many of you have heard me say in the past, or you've read it somewhere or studied it, because we've probably um, over much played the... Uh, the different Greek words for love, but there are just two that I want to focus on this morning. Uh, one is agape, and one is phileo. And the reason that I focus on those two is because phileo love involves uh, a lot of feeling. It's a word that communicates friendship, tenderness, um, a, a close connection, uh, it would describe uh, a, a kind of love that good friends have. It would describe a kind of love that a married couple has, um, hopefully that lasts throughout their marriage. Um, there should be some agape in there and some eros as well, but there should at least be some phileo that uh, is going on. And that word connotes a kind of love that is often referred to as brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, and it comes from that Greek word phileo. Agape is another word that is not uh, frequently used in classical literature, but it occurs many times in the scriptures, in the New Testament. And agape love is a kind of love that may or may not have feelings associated with it, but it is a deep commitment. Uh, it is a, a willingness to sacrifice, to do whatever is necessary in order to meet the genuine needs of the person that is being loved. And when I say genuine needs... Uh, sometimes what they really need is not what they really want. And so agape love is not so concerned with what a person always wants. If you love your children, you don't give them everything they want. Uh, and uh, sometimes agape love 
uh, has to make uh, some hard decisions. But it is giving people what they need. So let's begin by talking about what biblical love is not. And first of all, it is not necessarily, as I just said, associated with feelings of warmth and affection. Now, that may actually come as a surprise to you that you can love people that you may not have affection toward. But let me ask you a question. You don't, don't raise your hand, just uh, answer internally. Do you like everybody? There are people you don't like, aren't they? Let's be honest. I mean, there are some people that just, they rub you the wrong way. Uh, you don't, if you had a chance to, to go out to dinner with some folks, they wouldn't be your first pick. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily want to take a walk in the park with them. There's just something about that person that uh, you don't particularly like. Um, that does not mean that you can't love them. It doesn't mean that you can't <clears throat> make a commitment to them, that you can't, uh, within this body, uh, there are probably some people in this room that some of you don't like others of you, and so forth. It's just human nature. Uh, some people we connect with really easily. We have a lot of things in common. Uh, we're on the same page, so to speak, uh, the same wavelength, and we get along well, and we enjoy each other. And other people, it's just kind of like, hi, how are you? And if you spend too much time with them, they kind of wear you out. And so... Uh, even within the context of the body, even though there's, you're nice and you're polite and so forth, there is not necessarily a lot of feeling associated with the commitment. But you can have a commitment. Do you want the best? Do you, are you willing to pray for them? Do you want them to receive all the benefit God has for them? Do you want them to grow in Christ? Do you want their needs to be met? Do you long for God to, to work in their lives and accomplish His purposes? There's a, a kind of loving commitment that says, even though I wouldn't pick you as my best buddy, I love you and I'm praying for you and I want God's best in your life, you mean a lot to me because you're a part of this body and I value you. So biblical love is not necessarily associated with feelings, but it is associated with a commitment. Another thing is biblical love is not the same thing as acceptance. Uh, I think it was Mark that was uh, coming out the door last week, and, and he suggested that I consider it. That's the word you used, right? Acceptance? Approval. Approval. Love is not the same thing as approval, or acceptance of behavior, or saying, uh, you're okay, I'm okay. Friends, some people aren't okay. And what they're doing is not good. And you cannot approve of it. You can't uh, kind of encompass them in the circle of approval and say, hey, 
whatever uh, you feel is true is true, and whatever your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. Um, truth is absolute. It's black and white. It's absolutely true, or it is not true. There is no compromise, there's no middle ground with respect to truth. You cannot approve of that which is false. And so if a person is manifesting behavior or lifestyle or attributes that are wrong, uh, that are ungodly, that are inappropriate, that betray their uh, design as human beings, you can't approve of that. And to, to give that approval gives an entirely wrong impression. Uh, we live in a time, we live in a time where we are being counseled to accept everything. We talk about a plurality in our culture. Uh, we go to sensitivity training. <laughs> Some corporations and companies have it as mandatory where you have to take sensitivity training. And the idea is that you have to learn to accept everyone's behavior and everyone's choices as being okay for them. We live in a time when truth has become relative and it's basically in the eyes of the beholder. And so we're trying, uh, as a culture, we're trying to get people to accept one another without question. Um, I forget the philosopher uh, who um, basically said that we realize our selfhood when we, uh, when we take action and, and do things that kind of um, express our, our inner nature. And so when we, uh, for example, help someone who has infirmity cross the street, we are giving expression uh, to our humanity and to ourselves. We're kind of uh, demonstrating who we are. Well, uh, the thing that he didn't address was uh, you could accomplish the same thing if you got behind them and pushed them in front of a bus. Y you would be expressing your humanity, but it wouldn't be good. Um, it would just simply be who you are. And actualizing that self is not a healthy thing. That's why we have prisons. Uh, those people need to be locked away and kept out of the public uh, arena because they're dangerous. And so uh, we are in a time in our, in our nation where from childhood, from kindergarten on up, uh, all the way into the workplace, we're being taught to approve of everyone. Biblical love does not approve of that which is wrong. It does not accept all behaviors as valid. Even though we can be tolerant 
And do you understand the difference in what I'm saying there? We can not accept someone's behavior, but we can be tolerant of them in the sense that we aren't trying to uh, cram stuff down their throat and force them to change or to, to, to be something else. We can treat them in the workplace, for example, as an equal working partner, even though we do not approve of the expressions of their lives or their lifestyle. Um, to be tolerant of other people is to simply afford them, and I'll get to this in a minute, but it's simply to afford them the dignity that is due to a human being as a valuable person. But to approve of them is an entirely different kind of idea that says you're okay. When, as I said a moment ago, you may not be okay at all. It does not attempt to force change on an individual. It respects freedom of the will. If husbands and wives once they're married, would stop trying to change each other, about 75% of marriage counseling would be unnecessary. It's interesting how we fall in love with people because we like their attributes. Uh, there, there's all kinds of stuff going on that we say, wow, this is fantastic. I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. And there's this little element over here that's, well, it's not such a big deal when you're dating because we put our best foot forward all the time, you know? But then you get married and you can't keep that front up forever. And so you become your whole person, your total person. <laughs> and now those things start coming out and you think, I, I didn't see that coming. I know what I'll do. I'll just get them to change. And their trouble begins. Because they were that way before they got married. <laughs> and they're not any different now. And uh, they're going to be that way. Unless God changes them, they're going to be that way the rest of their lives. So deal with it. Um, we want to change people. We want to change our children. Now, that's different from shaping and training and developing. The scripture says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. And what that means is that as parents, we have a responsibility to study the children God has given us and to determine how God has wired them so that we can encourage them in the direction that God has planned for them. Not the one we have planned for them. Again, we could whittle down some more family counseling if parents would not try to force their children into molds into which they do not fit. Because we want them to be something they aren't. You may have a child that has no fine motor skills. It's just not wired into their, 
neuromuscular system and you want them to play the violin, forget it. It's not going to happen. Uh, they need to do something else. God didn't wire them that way. Or uh, you want them to be a football player, you know, like dad. And they want to play the violin. <laughs> and they don't want to have anything to do with football. We recently changed. I'm going to tell you something about myself. I hope you still love me and you don't have to approve of me. <clears throat> but we recently changed our TV, Internet and phone service from one provider to another. And with it uh, came uh, a, uh, a remainder of the year free subscription to all the sports channels. And then it said, um, be sure if you don't want this to cancel by December because after December 1st, you're going to be charged, I don't know, four or $500 for the sports package for the coming year. I'm going to call them next week and cancel because I don't want that. I have never knowingly intentionally watched a sports event. I have never watched a sports event by choice. I have no desire to watch a sports event. I will never watch a sports event unless you take me to it and I will be nice to you and go. And I'll have a good time being with you. But I don't care what they're doing down there on the field or on the court. or I, It just doesn't matter to me. All the sports in America could stop. Yeah, it could all stop tomorrow. And I would not know it. Do you still love me? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not wired that way. You know, give me a different kind of TV package. But don't give me sports. What was I really trying to say? <laughs> Where was I really headed? Yeah, yeah, the way we're wired. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, we're, we're always trying to, to, to get people to be something they're not. Rather than accepting them the way they are. And I'm not talking about moral issues now. I'm talking about preferences, attributes, giftedness. Um, skills, interest that have that are neither moral nor non-moral. They're amoral. They have no moral content per se. Love does not try to make people be something they aren't. And if you see people who do need to change. May I suggest that the best way to change them is to pray for them. Because God can do a much better job of dealing with a person's heart and getting them on the inside and moving them toward holiness than you will ever do. But it does mean that we need to speak truth and love. And there's a whole sermon there, but someone asked me something the other day about uh, how to respond to someone who was being just utterly foolish. And, and how do I answer them? 
And my counsel was, don't. Just don't. And I have a biblical foundation for that. There's a proverb that says, do not answer a fool in his folly, lest you be like him. And there's another one that says, and it appears to be a contradiction, but it really isn't, answer a fool as his folly deserves. You know what that is? Silence. You can just zip it up and shut your mouth if you're dealing with a fool. And do you know what a fool is? It's someone who is not teachable. They are not open to what you have to say. They are not wanting to learn. They're wanting to argue. They want to press their point without any respect for considering other options. They're not teachable. Don't bother talking to them. Don't bother trying to fix them. Don't bother trying to straighten them out. They're not going to listen. You're casting your pearls before swine. But on the other hand, if you're dealing with a person who either asks you a direct question and, and puts you in a corner, or who appears to be open to consideration, speak truth in love. That's not trying to change someone. That's just simply laying out truth. And you can support that with Scripture. Hopefully you can. And tell them the truth in love according to the Word of God. And then it's up to them to deal with it. Remember, I I reminded you last week of Jesus and and the wealthy young man who came to him wanting to know what to do to have eternal life. Jesus allowed him to walk away. He didn't run after him. He didn't try to persuade him. He didn't offer him an alternative uh, type of Christian faith. You can have the fire insurance without the followership. He didn't offer him that. He just spoke the truth and the young man walked away. And that's the way it was. Fourth, it is not passive and neither is it a doormat. Love does not compromise biblical values or moral standards. And it's willing to make tough choices. We have the impression oftentimes that if we're going to be loving, that we're going to be pushovers. That people can, we're going to just let people run over us and do whatever it is they want. Friends, again, I'm, I'm sorry with my quotes. I can't remember who said it. You'll probably know who said this. All that is required for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Do you remember who said that? Okay, you're all in the same camp with me. All that is required for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Loving people does not mean that we are to be doormats. Um, 
Not long ago, in one of the periodicals I receive, I read a very sad and tragic story of a couple whose son in his 30s, who had significantly abused alcohol and drugs, was unable to keep a job, could not afford to maintain himself, um, had been living at home, but had grown increasingly angry and hostile. And as a result of that, he would fly into rages, and he had become physically abusive toward both parents, to where he was hitting them. And so, they made a tough choice. They made the choice to say, whether you can support yourself or not, You cannot live here abusing us like this. You have to move out. You've got to leave. Do you think they didn't love him? I think they loved him. In fact, when I get to the end of the story, I'll explain why I think that's true. They loved him very dearly. But they could not put up with the behavior that was putting him and them at risk. And so they told him he had to leave. Well, he kept coming back. Not to live, but he would come back and he would get into fights with them and get, become abusive. And one day, in a fit of rage, he grabbed a knife and began to threaten both of them. And the father picked up a gun and shot him and killed him because he was going to charge his mother with a knife. Is that love? Yes, it is. Because you've got multiple things going on here in a very complex situation. The father loves the mother. He loves his wife. She has done nothing wrong. In fact, they have both sacrificed themselves way beyond the call of duty to try to help this young man. If anything, they have gone to the extreme. And now he's threatening her life. Secondly, his fits of rage, if he's willing to attack his own parents, what else will he do? And undoubtedly, if he's allowed to uh, do whatever damage he intended there, he would eventually confront the police. And how would that turn out? Particularly if both of them were killed by his knife attack. And so the loving thing to do was to shoot him. Terrible. Terribly tragic. But morally right. And the sad thing about that is, and the reason that I know they loved him, is the father who was irreparably changed because of this event, as you can imagine, said, never a day goes by that I do not grieve his loss. 
deep sadness. But he said, I am confident I made the right choice. Sometimes we are forced to make difficult choices in the name of love that have dire consequences because we cannot let people who have chosen a course of evil run amok in our culture or in our homes or in our communities without any challenge whatsoever. We have to be willing to deal with the situation in the name of love. And that means that we have to make the tough choices that are willing to protect the innocent. These are hard things. But I I want you to understand that when we love the way God loves, you look back at the Old Testament and many people say, well, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are two different gods. No, they're not. They're the same God. Why in the Old Testament did God sanction and condone and command even, particularly with the Canaanites, their annihilation, when in the New Testament Jesus, in love, said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. Go and spread the gospel. Go and tell them my love for them. What was the difference between the Israelites going into the land of Canaan according to God's promise and Jesus' ministry of love and compassion? What was the difference between forgiving the woman who was caught in adultery in John 8 but stoning, or in the case of one person in the camp, a couple that were behaving immorally, running them through with a spear. What is the difference between that? May I submit to you that God is preparing a people through whom Messiah would come to be the Savior of the world. And the greatest good was accomplished by creating a moral culture that reflected the character of God expressed in the Ten Commandments, that would preserve a society that would show the world a a picture of the nature and attributes of a holy God so they would become aware of their need for a Savior. And that through that society would be born... Jesus Christ into this world to redeem us. It was imperative that that people group, that culture, survive and prevail and demonstrate the godly character, the holy character of God throughout its history, although it failed miserably, which was also somewhat predictable. And so in the interest of laying the framework and and the basis for the New Testament revelation of Jesus Christ, 
God demanded that they maintain a purity that required them in certain cases to defend that moral character through war. Because the the greater need of humanity was served. And you can look at it in another way by recognizing that Apart from the way to God and Jesus Christ, people are going to spend eternity in hell one way or the other. And most people are going to take that broad path with those wide gates. But in order to save the few, God was willing to preserve the remnant of humanity in the form of the children of Abraham. You can go home and noodle on that for a while (laughs) and give it some thought. But the reality is that God is the same God who revealed His love in many ways in the Old Testament, but particularly spoke to us through His Son in the New Testament. And there's a seamless hole in the character hole, that is W-H-O-L-E. There is a seamless hole in the character of God from Genesis to Revelation. There's no change. There's no difference. And one day, people who have turned their backs on God will meet the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment, and He will not look too friendly either. And so, there's... a A consistency there. Love recognizes that every person, regardless of age or ability, is made in the image of God. Even in fallen humanity, there are both general and specific God-like qualities. Every person, somewhere, somehow, some way, has a reflection of the image of God in their lives. And we need to recognize that every human being is made in God's image. Secondly, we need to ascribe the highest value to human life and be willing to sacrifice our own lives to preserve and protect it. You say, come again? (laughs) There are some things worth dying for in the name of love. We went to school with a couple who eventually they married and they eventually went to Indonesia as missionaries. And at one gathering of the missionary um, group in that area of Indonesia, all the missionaries had come together for like a, a party and an outing together. The river was uh, post-flood and still in a torrential flow. And uh, one of the little girls of one of the missionaries fell into the river. She was about eight or nine years old. And this uh, gentleman whom we had gone to school with jumped in to rescue her, knowing that it was at the peril of his own life. 
he was able to get her out of the water and get her to the bank. But in the process, he lost his life and drowned. Tragic story. But worth the sacrifice. Because Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. There are reasons to put your own life at risk in the interest of rescuing others, in the interest of protecting others, of preserving others. And so love ascribes the highest value to human life. Third, love treats every human being with equal worth and gives dignity and compassion to all. Uh, Friends, there is no room in the family of God for any kind of prejudice. There is no room for, for racial prejudice. There's no room for national pride. There's no room for cultural or linguistic prejudice. There, there is simply no room for any prejudice in the family of God. Of all people, we should recognize that God has made of one blood all the nations. And that is literally demonstrated in the fact that blood types can be narrowed down to a relative few and you can transfuse people of any race, culture, or background to people of any other race, culture, or background. There is a consistency. Go ahead and shut that off if that came up there. There is a consistency among us all that we share, first of all, Adam's genes, and then we share Noah's genes. And we all have the same parentage. There should absolutely not be any prejudice in the family of God. Every person has equal worth and equal dignity and deserves us to give them that dignity. Sometimes people have a very difficult time connecting with other cultures. And they don't like the way other people do things. You know what culture is, by the way? You know how to define culture? It's it's not a hard definition. You can memorize it very easily. Culture is, colon, the way we do things. Culture is the way we do things. Your family has a culture. Our church has a culture. Our community has a culture. Americans have a culture, sort of. We're multicultural, but we used to be more focused on blending than we are today. But culture is the way we do things, and we don't all do things the same way. And so as a consequence... Sometimes when cultures clash, they don't like the way each other does things. And if you're not savvy to culture, if 
you're not aware of those differences, then the consequence is that you can uh, give offense or take offense at rather innocent behavior. People can offend one another by which hand they eat with, particularly if you're dipping it in the common bowl. Um, And there are reasons for that, by the way. And people have differences in those areas. We need to be willing to listen. When cultures meet, we need to be willing to listen, to try to understand, to try to connect, uh, to, to try one another's food, to sample one another's uh, music, to experience what other cultures value in order to show that sensitivity. It doesn't mean that you'll end up liking it, but you can like the person and ascribe to them dignity and worth and value. Love does not try to back people into a corner or humiliate them publicly, if at all possible. It respects privacy and freedom of the will. Um, Well, I'm not going to go there. Don't have time. Love gives care and assistance with dignity. I I was recently reminded of this as we were visiting with Rowena's dad, who has lost his ability to perform any care for himself of any kind. Everything must be done for him by others, down to the very private things of life that's hard you know and and I have observed in the years that I've spent uh, in um, in medical environment I have observed physicians and nurses and caregivers and paramedics and healthcare professionals technicians Because it's their job and they see it every day and they do it every day and they treat people every day that they lose the sensitivity that what you see and do every single day of your life is the first time this person has ever been exposed to this, this patient. And now they're struggling and they feel exposed, whatever the thing may be. They they feel... um, a loss of dignity. And it's a loving act to take care that you afford the greatest sensitivity in providing care for people. And as I mentioned to some folks when we were talking about my father-in-law, sometimes... The right kind of sense of humor goes a long way to relieve stress. You know, sometimes you just have to laugh at our humanity. But you have to do it in a shared, we're in this together way. It can't be laughing at someone, it has to be laughing together. To just lighten the intensity of the loss that is being experienced. We need to treat one another that way. 
We need to be sensitive to one another. And that doesn't apply to physical things. There are emotional things that go on in people's lives. And, and you may be exposed to that, either because they want to talk to you or because you're there when they're having a meltdown. And it takes a great deal of sensitivity to love in that circumstance and let them know it's okay. Everybody has those meltdowns occasionally. It's all right. And more than that, I will guard your privacy. I will protect you. And, and I will not speak of this. You don't have to say that. You just communicate that. You can love people in the midst of their pain if you can get in their shoes and feel it with them. Empathy is the word. Love recognizes the value of each individual and looks for the good, the God attributes and unique significance of every person. Regardless of their negative attributes and quirks, you know, we've all got them. We've all got them. We've all got our idiosyncrasies that are just sometimes maddening. But there's something else going on there that has value. Look for it. Love is patient. This comes from 1 Corinthians 13. It's kind. It's gracious. It's polite. It's long-suffering. And I'm done. You've been long-suffering. Bless you. As have our children's workers downstairs. And I just, uh, I just want you to know that love is the mark of the Christian. Jesus said, you will know, they will know that you are my disciples by the way you love each other. Father, teach us how to love the way you love. Teach us how to be discerning and wise and mature in our love. Give us the grace to extend grace to others and patience. And Lord, may we be respectful of everyone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.